0: For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary. Joining me today is Eileen Charlotte, who fell victim to the Tinder swindler and told her story in the Netflix documentary by the same name. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, it's so nice having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Before we kind of get into what I know is your passion, which is awareness, I wanted to ask you to just kind of provide a brief overview of what happened to you. Many of us watched the Tinder swindler, myself included. I definitely binged it. But, you know, to kind of get to the awareness piece, I do think we need to just delve a little bit into the background of your story. So do you mind sharing with us? Yeah, of course. Well, in the documentary, only maybe six to eight weeks of my story has
1: been covered. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I meet him, how I met him and yeah, what happened. I met him on Tinder in November of 2017. And we quickly started chatting And when I was in London for a business meeting, I met him there as well for a coffee and it felt that I have met a soulmate, which what I felt with him, I never felt before. So that was very unique and he was very charming, well presented. And also he was a very smart guy and we started to see each other more often and yeah, we fell in love like crazy. Unfortunately, he was working for a company called LD Diamonds and it was a diamond company of his father, he told me, and because of this work and because of the diamond industry, he had a lot of enemies. So in May, like almost seven months after we started the relationship, he lost a big business deal and his enemies were chasing him more than ever. So he didn't know what to do and then he turned to me if I could borrow him some money and if he could live in my house and that's where it all started. So he moved in with me and I gave him my credit card and after a while I also took out two personal loans of 30k each and this was also under a lot of pressure of him, of course. And almost after a year or yeah, more than a year into the relationship, I was completely broken. I was completely emptied money-wise. And also I had a lot of sleeping problems, anxious problems, and I had a constant feel of anger. And at a certain point he started to ask if I wanted to sell my house and my car because of, well, for him. And that's when all this story started. In disbelief. And when I was visiting him in Prague, almost 14 to 16 months into the relationship, he told me that he was still working on projects, still working on operations to return my money and also to keep us safe. And when he dropped me off in Prague airport, I saw an article called The Tinder Swindler. And this was created by two women. And they had a relationship during the relationship of me and him. And they lost all of their money and they got defrauded. And that's where I immediately knew that I was defrauded too. So I put myself together, even when I was in a terrible situation, because my life was scattered in 1000 pieces. I lost my job because of this. I needed to mourn about him. I was in a deep debt, but I was still fighting. So I decided to keep myself strong and come up with a plan. And I took all of his expensive clothes. So I flew back to Prague. I took all of his expensive clothes and I sold it to keep myself from drowning. And there it all started to solve a little bit for me. But now four years after and we created the documentary, I think, yeah, so thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you for going through it. <laughs> yeah, It's always very difficult to explain something because it's now almost five and a half years.
0: Right, and as you mentioned, the documentary covers six to eight weeks of your life. What are the other components of your life around that that you think are important for people to know about? I think especially the aftermath, if it comes to
1: this horrible crime It's really hurtful and you can have a lot of mental problems because of being defrauded. And I think the aftermath is one of the most important things I want to share because I think my resistance is also motivating maybe other victims
0: to step up and to fight as well. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the mental health component because I think it's challenging, I'm sure, to talk about that. But from an awareness perspective, a lot of the cases that I work, there's a major mental health component because you are a victim after all. You have been taken advantage of in some way. And I'm so glad that you're talking about mental health as part of the awareness. What were some of the ways that you kind of managed that? I immediately went
1: into therapy because I knew that I couldn't do this alone and I couldn't fight this alone because I had PTSD and I already had it before. So I saw the same patterns and it took me like one and a half year to really get out stronger than I was before because I always thought that I would never be as strong as I was before the fraud. And I got my focus back and also my sharpness. So I was really happy about Immediately taking action. And I think that's the most important thing to do, besides, of course, finding a police report. And now, after everything happened, I always say that in fraud, it's not only about the money part, it's more about the mental part because this will be a trauma for life.
0: You reference maybe some of the early warning signs that you've probably looked back on from an awareness perspective. What do you think were some of the early warning signs and what would you advise people to do? The
1: warning signs were more that he had enemies, which is already a little bit weird to speak of when you're a businessman. And especially the action he created around it, like he was attacked, he had a gun in his head, those type of things, they should have been warnings. And especially because always after those type of actions, he asked money. So it
0: was a pattern. Very interesting. You've been a little bit on the record saying that as this was occurring, it was challenging to get assistance. If you could recommend somebody that might be going through a romance scam to go to one place, where would that be? I know that's kind of probably a challenging question, but is there, you know, go to law enforcement, go to a trusted friend. How do you think people should proceed in these situations?
1: The most important thing is to find a person around you. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, it's your sister, brother or your best friend. Tell your story because the moment when you're starting to tell your story, it also helps you healing. Those people can also be your beacon of trust during the whole aftermath and they can maybe guide you or help you going to the police, going to different types of organizations to ask for help. But the most important thing is to find a support because you cannot do this alone.
0: You know, you've mentioned that it took you about a year and a half to kind of recover and you've come out stronger. What are some of the things that you're up to today that you're proud of and that kind of define your life? Well, at this moment, I am
1: teaching banks, non-government agencies, governments, and also companies. I'm giving a lot of readings and speeches about this And my story, and with my story, I found out that I can also help a lot of these organizations to maybe change policies or change regulations or laws, because a lot of things went wrong in my case, and now I am an advocate to create a better system for all of us, so things that happen to me don't happen to other people, because I know I am a very strong woman, but Unfortunately, in this crime, there's so much taboo and shame that there are also people taking their lives because of this. And that's something I really want to avoid because that's the most horrible and most terrific thing about this mental crime.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. It's devastating. Oh, my God. And I always forget that I
1: <laughs> I also started my own company. I created my own wine label. I did that because I really love wine. And I always say that it was helping me through the bad times. But now it's bringing me also a lot of good times.
0: That's really great. And I love that perspective. I know wine folks. It's definitely a community of people that share that (laughs) with you. Yeah, I think so as well. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts on going after that problem set? Because it's kind of a patchwork of laws globally and then locally based on where you are. What do you think is kind of the biggest nut to crack in that area? I think there are too many,
1: unfortunately. But at this moment, I am really trying to focus that agencies and also companies and governments are showing the community and everybody in the world that it is okay to be a victim, that it is okay to fall in for a scam. Because the more openness it creates, the more people started to talk and the more people starting to be aware of this horrible crime. And the moment that people are going to talk, The moment there will be more police reports, the moment that everybody and the rest of the world is also more chasing these crimes. So a lot more can do only because you share your story.
0: Right. And galvanizing the victims. I mean, I think that's terrific that you're providing an avenue for victims to feel safe enough to speak up and to make those reports. I think another thing that I've observed from other victims is that to a certain extent, Mourning the loss of a relationship. Did you feel like that was something that you had to go through, or were you kind of, you know, turned against him once you kind of got on to what was really happening with the fraud? No, unfortunately, you're going
1: through a mourning stage because, in fact, the guy I had a relationship with who lived in my house, who I also introduced to my family and friends, never existed. And Of course, I was really, really angry, but on the other hand, I also needed to go through this process to really accept and to really heal from this crime and to understand what happened to me. And I think that process made me really, really strong.
0: How has it impacted other relationships or the way that you've kind of proceeded? (laughs) Well, I am very careful these days. And
1: yeah, I created this really amazing support group around me of friends and family. And outside of that, I still do trust people because I think that if it affects my trust for the rest of my life, I will be ruined for the rest of my life. Because that means that I can never speak to anybody anymore or date someone new anymore. Sometimes I still need to get rid of that feeling. But yeah, it changed me, but I also am stronger than I was before. And I also have more knowledge now of all the things that could go wrong. And my red flag are waving maybe a little bit sooner than with other people, I think, after what happened to me.
0: Right. That's totally understandable. To maybe end on a hopeful note, what do you think your future holds? I think with me sharing my story
1: and continuing with sharing my story, I think that it will help a lot of people not only to overcome fraud, but also overcome other kinds of abuse or horrible situations. And I really hope that I can make some changes in motivating people from the inside to really fight and to stand up. And I also want to show with everything that I do is, yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if you don't see it now, you will see it one day.
0: Well, thank you, Eileen. I really appreciate you sharing your story and, you know, really delving into the mental health piece. I think it's incredibly brave of you to go there. And I think that you'll definitely help people.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and I hope that I can be a motivation for victims to stay strong and fight because you're not alone.
0: For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary, Partner and Chief Strategy Officer at Portalist Solutions. Joining me today was Eileen Charlotte, who fell victim to the Tinder swindler. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com.